it was really a battle between two things. One is from a moral perspective, how do I bring a child into a world that, like you said, is so crazy and uncertain? And what if my child gets to grow up in this scary climate dystopian future? And I don't want to bring that to anyone and at the very least my own child. That's one thing, the fear itself. And the other one is like, here I am trying to minimize my footprint and then I'm bringing the biggest footprint there is, which is another human being into the world. Welcome to Nutrition Without Compromise, a podcast brought to you by Orlo Nutrition. We believe that nutrition shouldn't be an either or, that you should never have to sacrifice your morals for your health or that of our home planet. Join natural products veteran Karina Belizzi and experts from around the globe as they discuss healthy solutions that are better for you and better for the planet. Welcome to Nutrition Without Compromise. I'm Karina Belizzi, and today we're going to dive deep into a discussion about optimism as it relates to food, nutrition, and the climate as we connect with my friend and the amazing climate optimist herself, Anne-Therese Gennari. Anne-Therese is an entrepreneur, environmental activist, and the founder of The Climate Optimist. Her work has been featured on the BBC, HuffPo, Drawdown, The Weather Channel, and many more. Anne-Therese is focused on educating businesses and people on how they can act from courage and excitement, not fear. This fall, she is releasing her first book, The Climate Optimist Handbook, to help us navigate our journeys from anger to acceptance and optimism. And Therese, thank you so much for joining me today and welcome to the show. Karina, thank you for the lovely introduction and thank you for having me. I'm so happy to be here. I just want to get started with the ethos of the show so people can connect the ideas that we're talking about today. What does nutrition without compromise mean to you if you were to define it for your audience? Oh, right into the heavy question. Nutrition without compromise it's just is. It's good foods. It's simple. It's clean. It's natural. It's something that I want to put in my body without having to compromise anything. I think that's what I would say it is to me. Good, clean, healthy food, feeling secure around it, not worrying about where it's coming from. Wouldn't it be nice if we didn't have to be label readers? I know. Or even like, where is it coming from and what is it doing to our earth and ultimately ourselves, which is not really usually shown on a label. So all these things. Yeah, these are problems that are not necessarily unique to our generation, but which our grandparents didn't really have to think about. They didn't really have to do this, did they? No, and that's something I'm trying to remind my grandparents. And they're like, what are you doing all this work for? And just come home to Sweden. I'm like, listen, the world has changed. It's not what it used to be in your, back in your days. So for sure, things have happened pretty fast. If you think about it, that's not a lot of generations ago, but we need to be more aware and we need to be able to go to the store and buy things without having to be worried about the backstory or the ripple effects of it that we may not understand in the moment. Right. I mean, I've just come back from Philadelphia where I went to Natural Products Expo East. This is one of the two big shows in this whole foods and nutrition industry. You'll see supplement brands, a lot of foods, a lot of food tech. And it's amazing to see the innovations that are starting to come out of the kind of periphery and into mainstream where there were several companies that were featuring seaweed, let's say, as a primary example, as a component of their new version of a veggie burger, right? Instead of being beans and rice based, things like green chickpeas, which I mean, I'd never heard about green chickpeas, but apparently it's before you dry them and then using them fresh as opposed to dried and then later soaked, so to speak. What novel things are you seeing or are you in particular consuming 
during this vital stage in your own life? This question has a lot of answers to it. (laughs) I would also say kelp. I think that's an amazing use of a really natural resource that's good in so many ways, especially for climate change. And I have to say, I actually invested in a kelp company, a kelp burger company, and I haven't yet tried their burgers, which makes me feel so ashamed and just like not happy with myself right now. (laughs) But that is something in the food scene that I feel like we need more of that. Another crazy thing that's actually like, I think it might be on the market or coming very soon is the fact that we can copy DNA from the milk of a cow and create actual milk without the use of a cow. And I'm like, that's extraordinary because some people want actual milk. So this is actually something I plan to cover in my roundup from Expo East, which I'm still writing because I came across this company that is doing exactly that. And because it has the same proteins that are present in dairy, they have to label it as a dairy product, even though it doesn't contain anything related to the cow. It's actually from plants. And I tasted the milks, even though I'm a little dairy sensitive. I knew it wouldn't send me rushing to the bathroom just because I wanted to compare it to what I'd remembered from when I consumed milk. I consumed milk most of my life up until I realized I was actually sensitive to it. So tasted it a little thinner than what I was used to from full fat cow milk, let's say, but same profile. It tasted virtually identical which was really kind of incredible. And then I did have the opportunity to try a version of a seaweed incorporated burger. And what I noticed was that it was a touch salty for my taste because I don't consume a lot of salt, most of my food fresh, and therefore it doesn't have the inborn sodium like 600 milligrams in a serving or anything like that. And it would turn out that that sodium is actually coming from the seaweed. So it has kind of a little bit more of a salty flavor. I'm sure there are ways to control for that, but we're relatively new in this space. I'm hoping to actually feature Akua on a future podcast episode. I'm connected to their founder. And I also met, again, a couple of other companies at the show that were playing in the space. So this is going to, I think, continue to create new innovations new sustainable foods and those that actually don't take much in the way of planetary resources to grow them. They sequester carbon. It's not like we're saying goodbye to swaths of land or cutting down forests in order to grow food. And they could potentially replace some of the other vegetation that we grow today or just complement our diets. So I think it's really, really interesting. Yeah, it's in a very exciting space to be in and to be aware of because I think a lot of things are going to come just in the next few years that we were are going to blow our minds. And then we just get used to it. That's something that we just take for granted, but that's how the world works. (laughs) Well, the few mind-blown moments I've had relate to some of the work that we're doing at Orla Nutrition. And this is perhaps news to you, but we grow spirulina at our aquaculture plant house in Iceland. And we've been analyzing that spirulina and comparing it to stuff that is grown in open ponds because this is in a closed system. It's controlled with artificial intelligence, right? So we dictate what is fed to the algae or the cyanobacteria in this case, we're able to only give it what it needs to grow and thrive and nothing of what it doesn't, right? And there's no infiltration of other algae strains. This also means the algae has become super blue as opposed to the traditional blue-green algae of what you would see. And it produces methylcobalamin form of vitamin B12, which the algae growing in open ponds doesn't do. And that's the most bioavailable form of B12. So it was a mind-blown moment for us from a research perspective. And then to also find that the essential amino acid compound, the entire panel grown by spirulina, 
is essentially comparable to the proteins that you would find in a cow using 99% less land and water resources. And so even though we're not proposing that this would one day end up being a burger replacement, you could foreseeably take a future protein from the spirulina, blend it in a protein shake, it could replace your pea protein or your hemp protein or whatever other sort of thing you're doing and have a comparable amino acid profile to what people have traditionally sent you to be for, including that vitamin B12, which is so hard for vegetarians to get. And so I'm super excited by that. I know this is a development which will come six months, a year, two years down the road because we're not quite to the spot where we can formulate foods yet with it, but it's on the horizon. And so it's very exciting to see technology, nature, world's first plants start to play these roles and kind of bringing this all together. Yes. <laughs> I'm like, I'm just trying to take it all in. It's really, really cool. Yeah. So as we talk about nutrition, I mean, you're presently, what trimester are you in? Are we revealing to the world that you're pregnant today? Way too real. I'm like a few weeks away now. So I am deep into my third trimester mm -hmm. and it's catching up with me that I'm pregnant. <laughs> so yeah. The baby is about to be here soon. Well, I have to say, when I first learned that you were pregnant, I was like, yes. And part of that came from this kind of underlying perspective. Like I've seen so many in the climate activism space pay a little bit of lip service to this idea that they're afraid to have the next generation of children because of the state of our climate and the state of just political systems. And we feel like we're in this moment of flux where it's really challenging to even have a meeting of the minds, families feeling like they can't talk to one another over some political craziness. And so ultimately, you have doubled down and said yes to this next generation. You're paying this, I want to say it's a much more than lip service to the idea of climate optimism. And you live this and breathe this every day. So I want to hear from you what this whole concept means and why you decided to go ahead and take the effort of writing this new book. Thank you. First of all, if anyone's listening, I have a little bit of a cold. <laughs> this is usually not what I sound like. So I'm just putting that out there. But yeah, I totally see what you mean. And I really have experienced that myself. I wasn't sure if I wanted to have kids. My husband was always like, of course you can have kids. And I'm like, you don't understand the world we live in. <laughs> like, I am not sure I want that. And it was really a battle between two things. One is from a moral perspective, how do I bring a child into a world that, like you said, is so crazy and uncertain? And what if my child gets to grow up in this scary climate dystopian future? And I don't want to bring that to anyone and at the very least my own child. That's one thing, the fear itself. And the other one is like, here I am trying to minimize my footprint. And then I'm bringing the biggest footprint there is, which is another human being into the world. And I think there's a lot of, a lot of shaming and finger pointing in that regard. And some people love to claim that the only issue we're facing is a population's issue. And I do not agree with that at all, because that's not the truth. And if anything, if that's how we feel, then we should empower women and their bodies and make sure that everyone is in control of their own decisions. Like that's where we should start if we think we have a population's issue, because that would be an obvious place to start, in my opinion. But what happened to me, I think it was an ongoing journey that took place inside me very spiritually. And I started just getting signs sort of a little bit from the universe, also from my body and started to open up this idea that maybe I wanted to be a mother. And at first the thought terrified me, as I said, but I think as I let it kind of sit with me and grow with me, I realized I do want to be a mother. And that I think if we 
give up on that intuitive, deeper sense of who we are and who we're supposed to be in this world, if we deny ourselves our own inner calling as a woman for, let's say, to be a mother, then we're just taking ourselves further away from our own humanness. And we don't need to be less human today. We need to be more human. We have to connect with that inner source and to embody ourselves in a new way. And I think when you deny yourself that calling, kind of like working against this purpose in a way, especially for climate change. And I think every single human being is a beautiful participant in this journey towards a better world if we choose to act on it. And it's not to say that every single one that comes here is going to come here and make trash and leave a negative footprint. I think that is one of the biggest narratives we have to shift, which is the one that we keep telling ourselves that we are the issue if we only remove ourselves and make ourselves as small as possible. Maybe the world will survive or maybe the earth will survive. But we can actually leave a positive footprint, which you just described with kelp and Erlo and what you guys are doing. So I think it's when we shift that narrative to say, we are here to make, to leave a positive, beautiful footprint. And maybe then I do want to bring a child to the world because she can also help expand that footprint for us. So yeah, a lot of things have gone on. And then I will just say that the day I found out I was pregnant, ever since that day, my mind has changed. My body has changed, obviously, but not just on a very obvious physical level, but been some shifts inside me where I see myself in the world in a whole new way. And I'm just truly excited. And it's weird to say, but I feel more calm and optimistic now, knowing that I'm bringing a child into this crazy world than I think I felt in 15 years. Well, I have to say from a mother who also dragged my feet a lot. (laughs) I mean, I had my first child at 38. That tells you something, right? Second child at 41, officially called a geriatric mother by my OB at that point. But that being said, the perspective I was able to bring to the whole process and my commitment to my own health actually led to a nurse at the hospital saying to me, you may be my oldest mom, but you're also my healthiest. And that doesn't come from not paying attention to the things you put into your body. It comes from paying attention to that. It comes from listening to that inner voice or even whatever that voice is when you're walking into the forest. I know you've described this on another podcast when I interviewed you on Care More Be Better, where it's almost like you're getting a download from the universe as you are in a meditative, calm state, spending time among the trees or on a hillside and just in nature. And so I think if we can demonstrate this for our children, they can be as much a part of the solution as we are. And to the point that I'm starting to see this now, because my oldest son is seven, he'll be eight in January, and he's starting to integrate all of the things I've taught him along the way about being mindful about waste, thinking about how he's treating the objects that he owns so that they can last, understanding that we don't just go out and get the latest hot plastic toy because it's available, that we don't do things like run to Target and pick up the whole new wardrobe each season because he still has clothes that he can wear and that we can shop for at a used clothes store. I mean, he's actually brought this into his psyche and he talks about it with me. So he's not even eight yet. And so if we're able to really kind of educate our kids, involve them in the choices that we make as we think about the future that we're building, they will be as much part of it, if not more and from an earlier age than we might have engaged, so that it just becomes the way things are. And so in a way, by procreating, (laughs) we can be part of that solution in a way that perhaps we might not otherwise be. 
Yes. And thank you for calling me the most, I don't remember exactly your words, but something about the most climate optimistic act you've seen so far for me. Because I feel that way. It's really manifesting my belief that we can get this right and trusting the journey. But not to say I'm not worried or afraid some days. I'm kind of terrified <laughs> about where the world is headed. And that's totally fine. But I think like what you just said, we need to create a new generation that just takes certain things for granted. And those are going to be the things that we don't take for granted, right? So like, we got to break that generational amnesia that we are kind of stuck in right now, where we just assume this is how it is. And of course, we just grab a plastic fork and throw it out because that's normal, which shouldn't be normal when you think about it. But they can grow up with a different normal and we get to play a part in creating that new normal. And I think that's really what makes me excited. Well, you spoke to something else, those plastic utensils. My son had asked me, mom, will you come back from this trip with a gift for me and for Roland? And so these are my kids. They want me to come back from a trip with something special. And so I went and actually found some new bamboo cutlery that was on exhibit at the show and got them each their own little kit so they can put them in their lunch boxes. And they were actually as excited about that as I might have been as a seven or eight year old when my dad brought me a stuffed animal. It just communicated to me that it doesn't necessarily matter what it is. It's just that there was intention behind it that you brought something special. And a toy doesn't have to be something that just is a stuffy that sits on your bed. That's not to say we don't have stuffies. We do. I mean, I think. Good to know. <laughs> you need balance in your life. One of the things I was hoping you could share relates to the content of your book, because so much of what you do, you lead workshops, you help people kind of discover how they can step into their own personal brand of activism in a way. So what can they expect? What can these individuals who come and discover your book, the Climate Optimist Handbook, what, what can they expect from it? Yeah. And I never really answered your previous question why I wrote it, but maybe this can be tied into this question. So you can expect... I think the easiest way to explain my book is a self-help book on climate change. And I say that because it's sort of written as a self-help book in a way. I want it to be very inspirational and to give a lot, not just for the individual to use as a tool to then better the world, but actually as I want to give back to the individual, like really the core of my mission is to help people. I believe in that in helping people grow into the people they can be, they will continuously to help plant that positive seed on the earth. So it's a self-help book on climate change and it's broken up into five parts. The first part is shifting the narrative. So it's all about what I burned for, which is shifting the narrative on climate change, on the stories we tell ourselves and how we see the world, just to give a little bit of a different perspective on what's actually possible if you just kind of turn this a little bit here and see what's the backstory to this or what's the other side of this issue that we're facing. So that's the first part to kind of set the mind and get people excited. Second part, actually, now my brain is not working. Pregnancy and a cold. I don't know if these are going to come in the right order. I'll just drop out what the different parts are. The second part is about change. So how do we start embracing change? What does that look like? Because ultimately, that is what we have to realize, that what we're facing right now is change. And that's scary because uncertainty always is. And our bodies are actually, from a neuroscience perspective, wired to kind of retreat and hold back when there is change ahead. And so we have to learn how to unlearn that behavior kind of launch ourselves into the change. And so how do you build that resilience muscle and adaptability muscle? So it's a huge part on that. So let's pause there for a second because you actually host a podcast that's on pause, but understandably so, called Hey Change. And I just want to put that out there as a resource because you have many very interesting interviews that help people kind of educate themselves on that process and dive deeper. 
So I will include a link with show notes to your show. I believe the last episodes you produced were in March of last year, but who knows? Perhaps it will come back soon. I hope so. I actually have a backed up list of people that I'm supposed to interview. I just have had to like focus on a few things, the book being one of them, growing a baby being another. But I want to come back to the podcast because I do love it. It's so fun and gives so much. But yeah, so how do we embrace change? How do we learn to kind of flow in that change and to get excited about it? So that's a huge piece of my work and also a big part of the book. A third part is optimism. What's the science behind optimism? Why is it important? How do we create optimism? Because I believe we can't just choose it because that's going to come back and bite us. We have to actually participate in doing so, create our own optimism. So then there's a piece on choosing empowerment. So what does that look like? And that's really where we get to embark on that journey and start implementing change and What does it mean to be a leader in our own lives? What does it mean to be a leader in our communities, in our families? We don't have to become the next Instagram sensation or Greta Thunberg, who's like marching and joining, like having thousands of people join her. That's not the kind of leader everyone has to be, but we can all be a leader in our own lives and regain that agency, which I think so many of us are lacking right now, which is why we're so anxious. We feel like we don't have control. So how do we become that leader for ourselves and for others? And then there's a whole piece of climate optimism. So what are the reasons for being optimistic about the transition, about all these amazing new technologies, about the future? And what does it look like to kind of live in that excitement and curiosity? So the book is about shifting the narrative on climate change, but to do so in a way from a very empowering perspective where the reader gets to go on this journey where hopefully they will finish the book feeling like, wow, not only do I deserve to feel well and happy right now in the midst of climate change and being aware of all this, actually by by seeking to be the healthiest, happiest, most balanced version of myself, I will also leave the most positive footprint on the world world around me. And I forgot one (laughs) entire piece, which is awareness. So the whole awareness piece is how we land in awareness, accept reality, but from that heal ourselves so we can heal the world and start growing emotional resilience. So I know there was a lot, but it's a book with many parts. And I hope that people will finish it feeling very grounded, but also empowered. Well, I think that's the important piece here. We all need to be empowered to engage. And I really love your point that being a climate activist doesn't have to look any one way. It could be doing something as simple as making sure that you routinely email your Congress people about a specific issue that you're upset about, or something like my friend Matt Schlegel, who He has decided to spearhead Fridays for the Future. And every Friday, he pickets in front of City Hall in Palo Alto. And then every Monday, he goes to the city council meetings and uses up two to three minutes of time talking about why climate change is an issue and making sure that his voice is heard, recording it, and then sharing it in social media and just working to make the community more aware and amplify the sorts of voices that sometimes fall by the wayside. And so if each of us can take a little piece that we're passionate about and march for change, then we're doing good work and we can remain more optimistic because we're engaged. In my mind, it's like this self-fulfilling positive cycle where we're thankful for the engagement, for the community that we build, And we actually build stronger connections with people that we're inspired by. And then that inspiration leads us and continues to kind of feed that optimistic engagement in not only your life, but in just your passionate pursuits. So I love the whole concept. I love your work and I commend you for staying with it. I mean, it is hard to do that in the midst of pregnancy and getting phone calls from BMW and being asked to go 
I know it's been one of those crazy summers. I'm like, why is everything happening now? But I guess I trust and embrace that. And I actually want to, if you don't mind, before we move on, because you said some really important things, I think it's important to recognize too that there are steps to all of this. So for someone who's listening, it's like, I don't want to go to my city council every Monday. Like, you don't have to do that. Like, that is amazing that he does that. And I'm like, like cheering him on from here, from New York. But it can start by just, it can be very intimidating to some people having a conversation about climate change with your family. Like that can be a really big place to start for some. And we need that because I'm going to butcher the numbers if I throw them out there, but there's something where like around 70, 80% of Americans are concerned about climate change. But when they're asked what they think that their peers think, only 30 something believe that other people care about it. So again, don't get too hung up on the numbers, but a lot more people care about climate change than what they think their peers do. This just tells us that we should talk about it because we actually all want the same thing and we're all more concerned than we might think that the neighbors are. But there's so many barriers and like mental blockages there where we feel like already there, that's too much. I don't want to talk about it because then I'm acknowledging the climate change is real. So that's a great place to start. And to also emphasize what you said about optimism, that's how you create optimism because yes, you feel good about yourself. You feel like I'm making an impact. But your body will also start to reward you because it produces happiness hormones, which I talk a lot about in the book too. And so I think break that idea that like, okay, I should show up for activism because I should do this. It's my responsibility to save the world for our kids and future generations. I mean, yes, if you want to tell yourself that, but it's not going to work in the long run. You're going to get very tired and overwhelmed. Instead say, well, okay, we live in a world that isn't working. We all created it. I was actually born into this world too. So it's not technically my fault because it was already kind of set up for me to continue to ruin the earth. So take off that responsibility piece and instead say, well, I do live today though. And we have this incredible opportunity to create a whole different world. And I am here for that. So it may not be my responsibility, but I have an opportunity here to participate in this. And how exciting can that be? So again, just tell yourself a different story and just start like, Digging in where it feels good for you to start. Maybe you do want to go to your city council because you were there. You're really amped up and, and excited. But if that's too much for you, start somewhere else and just continue to build up. Well, I do have to say, too, I had the pleasure of meeting in person a couple of people I featured on this podcast in an earlier episode, the co-founders of Lotus Foods, who are in the space of rice and have championed more crop per drop with rice cultivation. And so we were talking about the issues of food insecurity in the present climate, right? Namely, also the reality that we're confronted with in California. In California, we grow most of the rice that is grown in the United States. And we have water issues here now because we don't expect to get the same allocation of water resources to our farmlands. And so ultimately, the whole technology that has been created to build more crop per drop may actually end up being integrated much more rapidly, this whole regenerative agriculture perspective, because of the fact that we're having these water restriction things coming down the pike very, very quickly. And so even though harvests this year are likely to be affected and affected negatively, I think it's going to inspire the kind of change that we need to see long-term for a more healthy food system in a local basis at the same time that we have to exercise some chops and look at global food systems and collaborate around the globe and open our connections to ultimately understand that we are one people on one planet and we're all in this together. It might be a crazy race through space, but we have the ability to move forward 
with optimism, create solutions that are going to create the future that you envision, which you once described for me. And so before we wrap, I'm going to have to ask you to do that too, because I think that part of remaining optimistic, whether it be about our food systems, our nutrition, our families, our futures, our climate as a whole, we have to be able to envision what that beautiful future can look like. And so I want to give you the floor. Okay, I get to tell my story. (laughs) And yes, Karina, you're so right. We do have to envision that future. And I invite everyone who's listening to do this on your own. Sit down and meditate or whatever, go for a walk and just see what comes to you. Like if you were to really remove those barriers of what's possible, what could the future look like? How could the future feel like? And what are some of the sensations that you feel in this future? I think it's really important that we do visit that future quite often. I feel like I always talk about cities, but I do live in New York City. So it's kind of what my reality is. And I think where we need to see the biggest changes and also where a lot of the biggest changes are possible because there is a system in place and we can create massive changes rapidly for that reason. But a future I'm envisioning is I'm walking down the street. Air is really fresh because there are trees all around me. There are birds singing from the treetop. And I look below, there's there's greenery, little gardens, and there are benches to sit on. And almost at least 50% of the streets in New York have been converted from car streets to walking streets or biking streets. And all the city bikers now have a really safe place to bike around, which is not the side of New York City busy streets. And yeah, it's not quiet at all. It's a very lively city. There's people talking, there's coffee shops with like a very European style where there's like outside seating on the patio and on the street and people conversing and having fun and laughing. And there's music and street musicians and a lot of culture because that's what New York is known for. So all that is still here, if not amplified, but you can hear it too, because all the noise is gone, all the drilling and all the cars and things that we just took for granted in our old days, it's gone because we don't need it anymore. Our transportation, very quiet, electrically driven trains. And we do have cars still, but they have a completely different purpose than the cars that we know today. And we don't really want cars in the same regard because in the back in the day, we used to spend so so much time in our cars, getting frustrating over not finding parking, getting home late for dinner. My husband happens to be there. And all these things that just kind of drove us crazy. And thank God we figured out a new system. So we don't need that anymore. And we also have more time for that reason to just be with our kids, with our friends, catch up with colleagues. And human mind and the humankind is just on a very different level. I mean, there's still pain, there's still insecurities and injustices because it's just the world, but it's different these days because we have reached a new level of nutrition in our bodies, which thank God we figured that one out. And uh, we have more energy again, and we have more space to think and reflect and, and, and recoup, which turned out to be a very, very essential piece in our evolution and our survival as a species. So I can't wait to be there walking around the streets of my daughter who will be whatever age she will be at, at that point. But it's a future that I look forward to. Well, I can almost hear the birds singing. Thank you so much for that vision. I think it's important that we envision our own personal best future. And whether that be in a city like New York or one like Paris, where they might be closer to that reality today, given their commitments, or often a countryside farm. I mean, it doesn't have to be any which way, much like what your activistic streak might be. You can choose almost anything, but it's the future that you envision. And it's my belief that by doing so, you get closer to that reality. And even just spending a little bit of time reflecting and thinking about what you really want your future to be, you'll lead a more happy and healthy life. And you feel your optimism too. Yeah, that's for sure. 
Well, I will be sure to include links to where you can learn more about everything that you're doing, Anne-Therese, with show notes. Do you have any other closing words you'd like to leave with? Just get excited. Just allow yourself to get excited and recognize the incredible opportunity you have right now to participate in this shift because you don't want to miss out. We can both tell you that you don't want to miss out. And it's a truly rewarding way of life. So just dive right in there, get excited, and let's create a better world. Yes, fantastic. Thank you. As always, you can find links to where you can learn more about Anne-Therese Denari and her important work as the climate optimist with show notes, complete transcripts, even the video version of this podcast at orlonutrition.com. If you have questions about what we covered today or just want to reach out and share your own perspective, please reach out on social channels at Orlo Nutrition or send me a note directly to hello at orlonutrition.com. As we close today's show, I want to remind you that all of our listeners here at Nutrition Without Compromise qualify for an extra 10% off at orlonutrition.com. If you're interested in that spirulina that we mentioned earlier today, an omega-3, or even the prenatal DHA, like the one that Antares is using today, you can find them on that site. Now, the show discount is simply NWC10 for an extra 10% off at checkout. As we close today's show, I hope you'll raise a cup of your favorite beverage with me today, minus tea, as I say my closing words. Here's to your health. Thanks for listening to Nutrition Without Compromise. To make sure you never miss an episode, subscribe, rate, and review wherever you listen to podcasts. If you'd like to learn more, visit orlonutrition.com and join our mailing list. You'll gain access to complete show notes, features, and informative blogs because nutrition shouldn't be an either or. 